Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how has M21 been treating you so far? It's been good. We had it. There was a long pause, Ben, before we just started recording. I thought you gearing up for how you were going to set up the show to me. Was that, am I right? Um, yeah, I guess. I was just like <laughs> making sure I had all my ducks in a row, you know? Great. Was, was fired up, had the right energy, the right, the right chi. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is week one. This is one of the most exciting times for us to be recording the show because we just got our hands real deep into M21 this past week. Both you and I got to participate in the Wizards of the Coast sponsored arena early access streamer event, which was really sweet. Um, And then we got to dive right in as soon as it went live on Thursday. We're recording this Sunday morning. So that's about three to four days of getting into this new set. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. How has M21 been treating you, Ben? I streamed for 10 hours yesterday. Good (laughs) God. It was long. It was a blast, though. Uh, Started the day off with a couple trophies and then went downhill from there over the course of the rest of the day. Um, But yeah, it was a blast. So have you been playing mostly on Magic Online so far? I have done a little bit of everything because I wanted to see what it felt like on everything. So I started out uh, on the early access event on Best of One, obviously, because that was what was available. Um, Was struggling a lot with my computer and the account Wizards gave me that day. So I played a lot of Best of One that day. And then came back the next day and streamed on uh, Best of One. And then I was feeling like Best of One like wasn't really giving me a sense of the true speed or whatever the format. So I played a Best of Three on Arena just to see what that was world was like. And that was literally like one of the first few Best of Threes I've ever done on Arena. Just because for whatever reason, Arena is a Best of One thing in my brain. I don't know why it is, but <laughs> if I'm playing Arena. I want to be playing Best of One. So did that. And my opponent quality in the first two rounds was pretty low until I got to the finals, ended up losing in the finals. And then I was thinking, you know, like, I just want to play on Magic Online. So decided, you know, to take the hit for streaming for viewers, whatever, uh, just to do what I wanted to do. So yeah, since then, I drafted all day yesterday on Magic Online. So I've had a a smattering of everything, but the majority of it's been on Magic Online. Gotcha. Yeah, I've been the majority of my play has been best of one on arena. I've done three magic online drafts off stream, but I've been mostly doing best of one. So it'd be interesting to compare notes or see if maybe our experiences have differed because of doing those two different platforms. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we're going to just do our info dump here this week uh, as our first weekend from the new set. We're going to just get through all of our sort of big picture ideas, maybe some card evaluation changes that we've had 
now that we've had a chance to play with the actual cards. And then we'll do a quick re-ranking of our, our top commons and perhaps ranking up colors and stuff and really, I think, have a lot of good discussions out of that. So I think the discussions are going to probably be more important than what the actual rankings are because, you know, it is day four of the format or whatever. So before we get into any of that, just want to do some brief housekeeping stuff. First things first, talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to get back to the show if you so choose. I mean, I think anyone who listens to uh, Magic podcast content knows about the patreon platform as the way to support content creators and we try and give back to our listeners as best we can by access to a number of different things base level is access to the lords of limited discord we say this each and every set but this is the time to get in on the discord if you're interested um it's just really hopping and popping lots of people posting tons of uh, trophies a lot of discussions in what's the play what's the pick we also have our uh our weekly Lords of Limited Friday Night Magic that goes on. So you can you know dive into some like-minded, high-level drafts with other folks that are interested in that as well. So a lot of good stuff there over on the Patreon. And each and every week, we want to make sure that we welcome our new patrons to the fold. So Ben, I hope you will join me in welcoming Winry. Nick. Marcus. George. Jace. Wilson. Jared. Sam. <laughs> this one cracked me up. Yet another Michael. Champion Cooper. That's aggro. Andrew. Joe. Gwensday. Frank Samuel. Matthias. Tony, Arthur, Nico, Diego, Ashton, Scott, Taylor, Carl, Craig, Eddie, Ashbourne, and Dualcaster Mage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yep, cannot say thank you enough. And I agree. The Discord at the start of a format is my favorite thing. You you could come in to a format, you know, a week after it started and just read the M21 Big Picture channel and go look at the M21 trophy pages. And I think you would have a great understanding of a format. I was just, I was reading the big picture channel last night while I was working on the show notes and it's just fire. Like seeing the discussions that go on there. It's really good. Yeah. hundred percent agree. A couple other things. Uh, we do have, it's not really new anymore, but we do have a website, lordsoflimited.com. A lot of good stuff to check out there. Uh, our episode archives, links to both of our Twitch streams, our YouTube channel. YouTube, we are doing uh, an M21 days of video content, which we started out going on Wednesday. So we'll be doing three straight weeks of releasing videos every day on our YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash lordsoflimited. Uh, we're going to be doing our limited testing meeting video with quarter calls this week. So those videos will be out towards the end of this week. And also on our website is our tier list, which Ben tirelessly went through last night to update yet again so we'll be updating that a lot towards the start of the format and then less so as the format sort of evens out weeks down the road but uh, all of that's available on our website yeah looking forward to hearing where you agree or disagree with my rankings yeah for sure all right well let's start off looking at some some general big picture questions the things we usually ask ourselves first up is this a prince or a pauper format and i think we ask this a lot but i don't think we ever explain it so prince Versus pauper, meaning a prince format being one that is dictated by the rares and the mythics, and a pauper format being one that is dictated by the commons. Yeah, this was uh, coming up in my stream a lot yesterday. First of all, just people asking about prince, which was funny because like I had never internalized that you know there are people new to magic, whatever. We should probably explain that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I am pretty adamant that this is not a prince format. Like the rares are good. Yes, you're going to play against Bane Slayer Angel. Yes, you're going to play against Elder Gargaroth. But I think the glue to the decks is in the commons. And I think there's a lot of powerful things to do at common. And just in general, you know, we're going to talk about the format speed, but I think it's pretty aggressive. And the more aggressive the format is, the more you can punish those five and six drop rears. You know, if you can get the board state to a certain place where you're X amount ahead, pretty much what the opponent plays doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah, I agree. I I, I sort of made this note in the, the show notes when I was putting in Prince of Popper. I was like, is this really a worthwhile way of discussing a format anymore. Like, I'm not sure if we define it as a pauper format or a prince format, what that 
means in terms of how you approach it. And I was like, well, when was the last time we had a Prince format? And it was just two sets ago in Theros Beyond Death. But I feel like by and large, limited formats are mostly popper formats. Yeah, I think it's about I think it's about finding where, you know, the fourth through eighth best commons go best and trying to figure out how to maximize those cards. For sure. And you're saying that for this set specifically or just for that that's what limited sets in general are like? I think this set specifically and I think most limited sets recently, right? The whole the whole trope about, you know, building decks, like drafting decks, not drafting cards because cards are just generally good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So looking at number of lands next, that sort of is another clue to perhaps the speed of the format. Where are you at with the, the land count in your decks these days? I've been between 16 and 17, probably 17 most often. I've gone as low as 15 once uh, in a very aggressive white-green aggro deck, but I, I have not not played 18 at all yet. The format feels pretty fast and rewards having a low curve from what I've seen. Yeah, I'm a, I am agree. I'm, I'm on 16 to 17, usually 16 because I'm trying to just take advantage of that best of one hand smoother. And, uh, and I have not found there to be basically any mana sinks. So I, I agree. I have not touched 18 lands yet. I think red black has a fair amount of mana sinks, especially if you have Liliana's devotee. That's the the two and a black two three uh, that gives you yeah. zombies plus one plus zero. Oh, and then when something died, you can pay one and a black at the end of your turn to make a two two zombie token. First of all, that card is a house. The card is busted. I didn't realize when I read it that just like the zombies dying triggered making more zombies. Like you can just shove a three two into combat every turn. Yeah, and then like heaven forbid wearing a malefic scythe or something like that. Oh my god! Yeah, so I, I have found that red black and or specifically decks with Liliana's devotee are a little more mana hungry because you really want to be able to do something and then pay the two. Uh, also, but I, I agree in general that there aren't a lot of great mana sinks. Yeah, I guess red also has some some filtering and thrill of possibility in thrill of possibility and kinetic auger at uncommon so you get some some ways to discard those excess lands too and then so we've been talking about the format speed i think it's pretty fast i think you know i think aggro is the default strategy Mm -hmm. at common i think a lot of the commons are aggressive in nature and reward you for building your deck to be sort of a beatdown type deck yeah so i want to talk about this just real quick because i think you and i in breaking down the archetypes last week and looking at you know life gain payoffs and enablers and thinking well if black white life gain is an entire archetype then perhaps there's going to be enough incidental life gain floating around that it will invalidate some of these aggressive strategies and that just hasn't been the case in my experience do you have any thoughts on that or why that that's the case i have not either i think the black white deck rarely comes together as part of it i think there's a lot of tension in the black white deck right yes it doesn't really want to be an aggressive deck no it doesn't but but all of the three life gain triggers happen only on your end step so only through either attacking with lifelink creatures or casting revitalize like those are the only real ways to trigger it Mm -hmm. on your turn like that are easy and convenient but yet you don't really want to be attacking. And a lot of times your creatures that are attacking are outclassed. I mean, there's Tavern Swindler as well. I had a, I had a black-white coin flip yesterday, deck yesterday with three Tavern Swindlers. And boy, man, playing with that card is stressful. Oh, yeah. That does not. That seems like the anti-Ben Warney card right there. Yeah, it was miserable. <laughs> I had several spots where I was behind and like needed to win a coin flip to not be able to, you know, whatever, to trigger my Griffin area and putting things on a coin flip is not fun. Anyway, neither here nor there. The the black white deck really wants to be kind of like mid rangey or turtley, but you're forced to attack to trigger your stuff. And then a lot of the best payoffs are at uncommon, right? So you if you see one payoff, you think, oh, I'm building a black white life gain deck. But then if you don't see two or three or four other good uncommon payoffs, your deck just doesn't really do much. Like it gains some life. But if you don't have the payoff, you're just 
playing a bunch of mediocre cars that don't really attack very well. And it just puts you in a bad spot. Yeah, I had a draft that I posted to YouTube this week where I saw an indulging Patrician. That's the black, white, one, four lifelink flyer at Uncommon. I saw that sixth pick, I think. And I was like, oh, this seems like a signal to move into black, white life gain. And then saw literal no other payoffs the rest of the draft. And I think that can just happen sometimes. And I don't think you want to go all in on those strategies unless you've seen you know, a couple payoffs already. I think you want to be very wary of moving all into that deck. So I, I agree with that. I also think like, you know, the lack of some a card like like Aven of Enduring Hope from Hour of Devastation, that's a five mana three three flyer that ETBs and gains you three life. The the fact that our version of that in this format is like Blood Glutton, the four three lifelinker for five mana, that's a big difference that you don't get your like sort of life gain boost um right off the bat. Yeah, that makes sense to me for sure. And something that we were feeling when we were doing some like practice drafts, uh, you know, with folks in the discord before the set came out uh, was that there's sort of a lack of two drops. I keep, you know, a lot of my drafts, I'm like, where are all these two drops? Is that, has that been your experience? Or are you now feeling like you, you're figuring out where, where those twos want to go and when you're going to pick them up? Yeah, that has not been the case for me. And it was during the practice drafts, which is weird. So I don't know if the rest of the, the world just hasn't calibrated to picking two drops highly, but two drops were pretty contested in the practice drafts we were doing in the Lords of Limited Discord. I do think like if you just look at the two drops on face value, they don't look like good cards, right? Especially after Ikoria, like take Alpine Watchdog, one and a white for a 2-2 Vigilance. That's not a good card. I would give that card like a D, D plus, you mm-hmm. know, normally I'm pretty down on a card like that. But th- I think there's several things going on. I think a lot of the best commons want you to be attacking. So think, you know, Basri's Acolyte, the two white, white, two, three lifelinker that puts two counters on something when it ETBs or, you know, drowsing Tyranodon. That's the one in a green three, three that can't attack unless it's got a plus one, plus one counter on it. But when it is attacking as a four, four is an absolute force of nature, right? Mm-hmm. Or Roman Ghostlight, three blue, blue, three, two flyer. When it ETBs, you bounce something like best blue common. A lot of the top commons want you to be aggressive. So then you just, by by nature of that, like two drops go up in value, even if they're not great, because you want to be attacking and you want to be beating down. So I think there's some of that going on that they just don't look as good, but you need them. So therefore they're better. So there's also a lot of ways to augment them. Uh, Think about short sword, uh, colorless for an equipment and equip cost of one to give a creature plus one plus one. We're going to talk about that a little later in the episode, but just resizing a creature, you know, Alpine Watchdog, for example, and turning it into a three, three vigilance is big game, you know, when you're backing it up with combat tricks or things like that. And I think creatures are just smaller in general right like yeah we're coming off of icoria where you were <laughs> playing with eight eights and ten tens and like right it's, it's just not that world here in corset there's something that i keep thinking about because you know shock is a really high pick in this format probably shock is maybe at its best or one of the best sets we've seen shock in because you know as we learned in the crash course it kills about half the creatures right 48 of the hundred commons and uncommons are power two or less and i think that should give you a clue about two mana two ones or whatever that you know alpine watchdog is gonna offer to trade with about half the creatures in the set and that's why i think just the random two mana two ones or two mana two twos are just gonna be good period and why we're talking about augmenting them as being good with something like short sword or a plus one plus one counter or whatever because turning something from a two two into a three three you know the bump from shock to scorching dragonfire picking something off is huge that's like i think something like 75 percent of the commons and uncommons are three toughness so i think that's a that's a real key to the format there yeah i, th- I agree and i think another thing that's not as intuitive to pick up on but almost all of the triggers that do things or a lot of them from powerful cards say do this thing only on the end of your turn like you know 
the life gain deck, for example, or the green black gold card that cares about things dying. And the the best way to make all that stuff happen is to be the aggressor, right? So that's sort of like a hidden like mechanic way that incentivizes you to want to be aggressive in the format too. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. And then when I saw that you wrote that in the show notes, it made total sense to me. It's a really smart observation. I think the, the other thing is, you know, if if we're assuming the format's fast, which I, I think I think it is, mm-hmm. a lot of time my experience has been when I'm the aggressor, my opponent as the defender is behind and tapped out, which just lets you leverage cards like feet of resistance or even something as simple as sure strike. Oh my god. Yes. You're just you're just you just have total control over what's gonna happen to them, which and so blocking feels so bad, you know, as a result too. A lot of times you have to cast something and then wait till you have open mana mm-hmm. just to not get savagely blown out. But then it's so easy also like it, you know, we know that play pattern because you've done it yourself where you go, okay, I'm not blocking this turn, but now I'll pass and I won't attack with my creature and I'll leave my mana up and you're just like telegraphing that now you have a way to interact and that then puts the ball back in your opponent's court to say, okay, well, if I am going to attack, that means I have a way to blow you out with whatever way you think you have to blow me out. Right. I just think being being the aggressor feels feels pretty good in the format. And then, you know, something as simple as, you know, what you're saying about the creature size, just being smaller and more relevant Plus one plus one to a two two matters a lot. So things like in the in the green counters deck, in the white green counters deck, or you know just in red white, having two short swords. If you get two short, normally you would be thinking I would feel awful about having two short swords on the battlefield. I don't think you do in this format because making a two two into a four four is gigantic, right? That's a must deal with card in the format. It feels like. So do you think that combat tricks are better in this format now as well, or or just some of them? Some of them, I I think. I think Sure Strike has been really strong, or at least I feel like I go through these scenarios of like, well, if they have Scorching Dragonfire, I can do this. And if they have Shock, I can do this. And if they have Sure Strike, I'm dead. <laughs> like, Sure Strike feels like I, there's no way to play around it. Yeah, I think I would prefer to interact with my opponent by attacking and having combat tricks than having removal and trying to react to what my opponent's doing as a general rule. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, stuff like shock, scorching dragon fire that's really cheap, you know, sure, sign me up. But like holding five mana up to try to kill my opponent something does not does not feel great in this format. So yes, I think combat tricks go up. I think feet of resistance is outstanding. Mm-hmm. I think Ranger's Guile is pretty darn good. Not quite as good as feet of resistance. And like things like Titanic Growth, Sure Strike are just just better as a result of it being core set and wanting to attack. Yeah, for sure. Well, that point you made about the five CMC removal spells, I think is a a really good segue to this next point that I want to make, which is this sort of cube curve analogy, which I I made this comparison in Ikoria as well. I think it holds really true in this format that I think you want to draw a line in the sand at three CMC or less and four CMC or more when you're drafting, because there's just so many, you know, fine to great 4CMC, 5CMC spells that I think you can get really messed up early in a draft by taking cards like that, that you're going to just end up replacing as you get better versions of them down the line. Yeah, I, I have felt 100% the same thing. Specifically, the, the place where I felt it the most is in blue-red. Mm-hmm. That, yes. there's, that there's so many powerful uncommons at 4 and 5CMC that if you're taking the commons, you could be in real trouble. Yeah. Well, so if we just take a look at something like 
for CMC. And I've highlighted the ones that I think are like, you know, probably the best of the bunch, but maybe not even, maybe not even some of these, but like, you know, you think about it in white, there's Basri's Acolyte, one of the best, right? That's, that's one of the ones you really want. But then there's also Gale Swooper, the three, two flyer that gives something flying until end of turn when it comes into play. That's fine. In red, you've got Goblin Wizardry, which is like a deck in and of itself. But then also Turret Ogre is just fine as a four mana, four, three. Black has Skeleton Archer. Blue has Capture Sphere. Think about the Junkers in green, like Sabertooth Mauler or Ornery Dilophosaur. And then you've got Hunter's Edge as the four mana removal spell. But like, how many of those can you take? And then you're also going to want some big creatures. Like, it's it's really tough. And then when you look at five CMC, there's so many removal spells. White, red, and black all have like basically kill your stuff dead or almost kill your stuff dead with turn to slag. Then you've got the two for ones in roaming ghost light and pitch burn devils, the five mana three, three that when it dies deals three to something. And then just like random creatures, blood glutton, gnarled sage, valorous steed rise again as an important piece to some decks. Like you can just very easily end up with four or five drops at the end of pack one. And you're going to be in real trouble there. Right. I agree. But like red specifically, turn to slag and pitch burn devils are both just great cards that you're going to get because red is super deep. Exactly. But like that you just never need to take early. Right. That's what I mean. Like you're 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 probably going to wheel turn to slags or pitch burn devils if you're in red mm-hmm. and they're going to be totally fine cards in your deck. Maybe even good, better than better than most other colors. Yeah. Five drops, which is just not fair because red has all all the best cheap cards too. So I think it's it's really important to identify what are the irreplaceable four and fives for your deck and take those when you see them. And otherwise just trust that like, yeah, maybe I won't get this Gale Swooper here and that's going to be fine because I know I can just get something for that part of my curve. I just need to take this, you know, sometimes you probably should just take that that 2-2 Vigilance over Gale Swooper a lot of the time, right? It just depends on like how contested white is, right? Right. You, you want Gale Swooper when you can't get Boss Rezacolites. That's mm-hmm. how I feel about Gale Swooper. Yeah. And, and or, I, or specifically if you're blue white. And I would put Roaming Ghost Light as a cut above the rest of the five CMCs, that the 3-2 in blue that bounces something, just because like that immediate impact, I, I keep thinking back to Ravnica Allegiance where there was Grasping Thrall and Chillbringer as these five mana 3-3 three, three flyers that had ETB effects. And yeah, that part of the curve is is high but you would just play as many of those cards as you could get your hands on i felt awkward about roaming ghost light let me let me pitch my experiences with roaming ghost light to you don't you dare say dice to shot no 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 no. but here's here's my experience with roaming ghost light so far and i agree it's the best blue common and i'm I'm picking it very highly it feels absurd in blue white Mm -hmm. it feels awkwardly out of place in blue red largely because there's a tension with so many other expensive spells that are uncommon that are great Mm -hmm. at four and five cmc and it's not really what you want to be doing there it feels out of place in blue black because that deck is trying to like reanimate and isn't super aggressive and if you're not aggressive you're not taking advantage of roman ghost light being busted and then blue green it feels it's great in blue fine Like you're happy, you're thrilled ramping into it with a land of war visionary or whatever, but it's not absurd in that deck either. Yeah, that's fair. I have no rebuttal to that argument. Okay, I was just I was just curious because I I don't know if I'm like so as a result, like I've been picking it pretty highly, but it sometimes it just doesn't make my deck that I have not done yet. I've not had the busted blue decks where roaming ghost light sits on the sidelines. Okay. All right. So let's move on to uh, to one of your takes from the crash course here. I wanted to check in on where we're at. With, <laughs> oh, yikes. I want to check in. I, I'm not, I'm really not trying to set you up here. It's like a. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I just, but I feel like this was, this is like a, a big part of the 
build around or uncommon part of this format, and that's the the five sanctums. So where are you at on these after having a chance to play with them? I'm, I'm down across the board. I have done the thing and I got it out of my system during the early access streamer event and had had multiple copies of four of the sanctums. I was missing the black one, had sanctum for all, which is the rare. Um, it's really powerful when you do the thing. It's absurd, but it's really hard to do the thing and to do the thing you have to dedicate so many slots in your deck to Sanctums for it to consistently come together that I think you just end up not having a very good deck. It it just takes the perfect storm to get a good Sanctum deck. And I don't think you're supposed to go after it. I think you're only supposed to do it if it falls into your lap. I agree. I think it's a little... I think it's more cute than good, even when it comes together. I agree. So I think... I think if I were power ranking the Sanctums, I think it would be blue first, then black. Those two are the closest to standing on their own. And I think they're very good as like a one-two punch in a blue-black deck. Like, I think you're probably happy doing that. Past that, it really doesn't matter. Like, I'm hoping to never play the red, the green, and the white unless I'm the Sanctum deck. And I just don't think you're doing that that often. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would swap them. So the Black Sanctum I've had on its own, and that has been you know fine to great. And I like the Blue Sanctum in conjunction with our uh, our favorite build around in the set, Teferi's Tutelage. I found that like Teferi's Tutelage on three into the Blue Sanctum on four to be a really powerful way to turbo mill your opponent. Yeah. So speaking of the Tutelage, yeah. Best uncommon in the set? For me, for sure. Yeah, I, I am blown away by this card. It, it feels like it's the zenith flare of this format. I agree completely. It lets you play the game on a totally unfair axis. Right. Yeah, like that's... Axis, not access. <laughs> that's the thing about a card like that, a card like zenith flare, a card like Dovin's Acuity. You know, these build arounds that let you feel like you've made a deck that is operating in a different format than your opponent. Like your opponent's trying to do one thing and you're just like, everything you're doing is invalidated because you have no cards in your library. Right. So on, on a video I recorded for YouTube, if you want to see Tutelage in action, uh, 7X with a blue-green deck that had Teferi's Tutelage and Tutelage was single-handedly responsible for like four of the seven wins in games that would have otherwise been very unwinnable. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting because we saw a card almost exactly like this two core sets ago, Psychic Corrosion. The, there is a real difference to this having a draw discard on ETB for this enchantment. I agree. It accelerates the process quite a bit. The card I could see competing with Tutelage the most, I think Malefic Scythe is very good. Mm-hmm. I've been been very happy with that card. The card that has been the most bonkers to me is Seasoned Hallowblade. That card has been ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It's, would you say it's, it's like a Danto Vanguard? You would say it's better than a Danto Vanguard. It's Once you get a counter on it, your opponent just can't do anything. Four power is so much. And then you're just pitching cards as free combat tricks. That card is oppressive. Yeah, that plus I've seen both the auras, Fuhrer of the Bitten, that's a single red, plus two, plus two, has to attack each turn. And then dub, two and a white, plus two, plus two, first strike, it's also a knight. That plus those auras, it has felt very Ixalan to me. Yeah, it's it's powerful. So Teferi's Tutelage, best on common. Where are you at on best common right now? I'm on Scorching Dragonfire uh, over, I think the cards that are most in contention are Llanowar Visionary and Basri's Acolyte. Mm -hmm. I'm on Scorching Dragonfire as a nod to, I think, as we're going to discuss later, red being the best color. And I think cheap interaction like that being pretty premium in a very aggressive format. I think Llanowar Visionary leads you down a more non aggressive route to really maximize it and i think i'd prefer to be starting with a red spell that interacts on a on a premium level yeah 
Yeah, I agree with that. I have Llanowar Visionary as the best common. I've moved Basri's Acolyte down just slightly only because it has a floor of being a 4-mana 2-3 lifelink. The ceiling is absurd, obviously, but Llanowar Visionary's floor is the same as its ceiling, and they're both really strong. Yeah, card has been very good for sure. How about running Disenchant's main deck? I know you've gotten some questions on that on stream. Yeah, I am not into it and i've been playing a lot of best of one and people you know every time you know you face it, it's a very toolage or malefic scythe hits the battlefield and you go well i can't beat that like then everyone's like well I probably should be playing rambunctious mud or return to nature and i'm just not sold i did actually i had a black white deck that was pretty grindy that didn't quite come together um and so i, I was scraping a little bit for playables and i was like oh, i'll try this rambunctious mutt main deck and I think every time it was in my hand, I never had a target for it. Obviously, small sample size, but I'm not there. I think Thrashing Brontodon, that's your main deck. Artifact, Enchantment, Hate. I don't think I want to be running Return to Nature main. Yeah, I think Rambunctious Mutt is not embarrassing if you didn't quite get there as a 23rd card, right. especially if you got some dog synergies. But you're, that's not, you're not hoping to include a Rambunctious Mutt. I don't think so either. All right, so where are you at on the archetypes so far? What have your impressions been as far as, you know, best archetypes or archetypes you've played and liked have felt good, that sort of thing? So I'll start off with something that is not surprising to anyone. I do still think blue-red is the best, um, and it's it's super deep. There are many different ways to build it, I think, which is really cool. And I think red-black is pretty close there, which I, I don't think was a surprise to us either. That was a surprise to me. I, I was not... I did not have a very clear picture of how red black looked or operated until the first time I played with it. And I think it's it's really good, mostly because red's really good, I think. I tried doing the Sam Black thing of like building all 10 color pairs with like mostly commons and like giving myself a few uncommons before we got our hands on the set just to like maybe maybe see if that was helpful. And when I was building red black, I was like, oh, this feels like red black did in Aquaria, where you can do a bunch of different things and they all sort of work together like you could do the sacrifice stuff you could do the reanimator stuff you could do the spells matter stuff and those things didn't really have like tension with each other they actually had nice little pockets of synergy so i was pretty i felt pretty good that red black could get there yeah i think it's one of the top decks for sure yeah and i will say Moving away from stuff that didn't surprise me to stuff that did surprise me, I think green-white seems like the best aggro deck to me, which I think you and I were pretty skeptical of what green-white was capable of doing, but it doesn't really take very much for it to be an explosive deck. Right. So green-white's got several things going for it. I, I trophied with a green-white deck yesterday. It's got a lot of two-drops available to it. It's got the best the best two-drop in Drowsing Pteranodon available to it. The green-white uncommon as a two-drop that makes plus one, plus one counters turn into plus two, plus two counters, essentially, are is bonkers. So curving that into anything that puts plus one, plus one counters on things not only lets you be aggressive just because you're curving out, but it also lets you go big like while you're curving out, which is just really difficult to overcome. Yeah, I agree. Had had multiple times that I mulliganed to five and still just steamrolled my opponents. Dang, that's impressive. I think red-white falls there as well as far as like really good aggressive decks. I think it's a notch below green-white uh, when green-white really comes together, but I do think red-white is very good as well. And I think red-white a lot of times, especially if you get the rare dog lord, the pack leader, I think has a real dog sub-theme to it, like much more than I would have thought. Pack leader is very good and well worth you know, going out of your way to try to put some dogs in your deck for. Yeah, I played against a red-white deck with Pack Leader, and that in conjunction with Bolt Hound was really nasty. I think that's a really good... I, I'm pretty skeptical of Bolt Hound as not being great, but I do think that pairing is really powerful. 
I have also lost to that one-two punch. Yeah. I'm just like, wait, you get to do what? <laughs> it's indestructible? No, no, no. No, no, thank you. Um, black decks in general have been fussy for me. I, I drafted three. I had a pretty bad run on uh, best of one the other day with three black green decks in a row that went one three oh three one three, which I think is obviously some variance there. But I, I also was like on on face value, some of those decks or like, you know, one or two of those decks, I think, looked pretty good and then just didn't quite perform well so i'm not sure if black green gets there all that often i know you just trophied with a black green deck right yeah so my my thought on black green right now is that it it struggles against blue red and or red black but that it's very it has very good matchups against like red white green white those aggro decks that are trying to you know curve out on you like it's sort of the rock of the format right yes where you're you're pretty solidly mid-range with a lot of good cards and you beat up on the aggro decks but the things that just interact with your stuff on a different level you know when you get frost breath against the blue red deck and then they you know cash crash through and burn bright you just can't interact with that favorably at all as a green black deck it's hard to double spell in green black i found yes i would agree with that and then black white life gain i've tried to get into the deck a couple times you know first pick to griffin area just like try to see what happens I think it's too fussy to come together all that often. I think you really want to know that white and or black is open before moving in on one of the payoffs, as we talked about before, like six picking a patrician and then just seeing no other payoffs while still trying to be like, oh, I'm snapping up these revitalizes. When your deck is just like one patrician and some black white cards and like four revitalizes, that's not where you want to be, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I think it's 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 tough to get black white to come together i think green red also doesn't come together super often but when it does is really powerful and certainly is on the back of you know usually two to four land of war visionaries yeah so where are you at let's talking about like you know maybe the tiers of the archetypes maybe not ranking them one through ten but where are we at in terms of like top tier second and third tier one i'm on red blue red black uh as like a nod to red just being absurd and then red white and green white being the two best aggro decks Mm -hmm. and i think you really do want to be aggressive i think that's why those are top tier and then slightly below that uh blue white is also very good but i think it comes together less often uh than red white and green white as far as you know top tier decks and then sort of in that middling tier still blue black blue green green black those are all fine decks uh when they do come together i think everything's pretty viable and then in in the bottom tier just because of how infrequently they come together uh, white black and red green yeah and you've got some notes here on keys to building winning decks Yeah, so I've just thought a lot about what's been doing well for me, what's been doing well for my opponents, and just how that influences how you draft in the format. And a lot of this is predicated on the format being pretty aggressive. So if we're wrong about that, a lot of this stuff's, you know, we'll be walking back next week. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I think this is where I'm at right now for what I'm trying to do. So I'm really trying to know what my plan is, whether or not I'm aggressive, and whether or not my good cards are incentivizing me to be aggressive or to try to stop aggressive decks. Like the, so the format's sort of split into a dichotomy like that for me right now. Mm-hmm. My plan A is that blue, red, and red, black, you know, just good stuff that really wants to be aggressive, spell-oriented decks. Um, but like we said, there's a lot of different ways to build blue, red, and red, black, and you don't want to get caught in the middle. You either really want to be an aggressive version with goblin wizardry that's trying to combo kill, or you want to be, you know, an aggressive version without goblin wizardry, but 
Goblin Wizardry has no place in the controlling version, right? And when and when you say combo kill, what what cards are you talking about? Uh, oh, so combining it with Crash Through, which is the single red cantrip uh, that draws you a card, and Burn Bright, which is two and a red uh, instant plus two plus O to your team. Those two cards just in conjunction on one turn is turning all those prowess goblins into four powered things. With trample. Right. With trample, not to mention other early drop prowess things. You know, maybe you curved a Heartfire Emulator, which is the uncommon two drop prowess creature into a Mistral Singer, which is the the two yeah. and a blue two two flyer, like into wizardry. And then all of a sudden you're attacking your opponent with four minimum of four power trample creatures on whatever turn five so it's that's very much like a combo deck in the format that tries to combo kill your opponent but there's also an aggro version that doesn't care about that so much and then there's a controlling version that doesn't want to touch goblin wizardry like goblin wizardry is really bad when you're behind has been my experience and so if your opponent's doing that you want to try to put them into a position where they are are behind so just knowing whether you're the beatdown or control i think if you don't open great rares or uncommons that push you in another direction you should be trying to be an aggressive deck and draft a curve draft combat tricks you know red white green white all the tools exist at common to consistently put good aggressive decks together and then i think if you do have those busted cards make sure you have a plan to stay alive against you know those aggro shells and that goblin wizardry frost breath burn bright type deck yeah that's why i mean We'll talk about this when we get to our, our common re-rankings that Drowsy Pteranodon has just gone way up for me. You know, we keep talking about it like, well, once you get that plus and plus one counter on it, or, you know, you put a Satessin training on it and you can beat down as a four power creature, that's awesome. But it's also just a brick wall against a lot of strategies. That too. Yeah, does block well against everything except the blue-white flyers deck. And then I think... The other thing is that a lot of these decks, you know, whether you're an aggro deck or you're trying to combo kill your opponent with goblin wizardry or whatever, they all have a way they want the game to flow and trying to manipulate the board into a place where you're the aggressor and your opponent's not, or if you're racing, how you're going to swing that race. Like one of the most backbreaking cards in the format against me so far has been frost breath, just because it feels like, you know, a lot boils down to critical turns where you can really interact favorably with what your opponent's trying to do. Yeah, for sure. Frost Breath has been backbreaking at times. Yeah. And I think another key to building winning decks is what we were talking about earlier, just finding the right home for those C and D level cards, really trying to maximize their synergy. And almost all of those C and D level cards want you to be attacking and go specifically well in an archetype. So thinking, you know, Igneous Kerr, you know, one in a red for a one, two that you can pay one in a red to give it plus two plus oh, not a great card on its face, right? But all of a sudden, if you put a rousing read on that, it's a very real threat that your opponent has to deal with on the spot or Alpine Watchdog, you know, wears counters super well or wears a short sword super well. So just finding ways to turn cards that aren't intrinsically powerful into good threats, I think is a, a really big key to how synergy works in the format, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I think it's it's, it's less about making your C pluses B minuses and more about making your D pluses Cs. And then, you know, just I was trying to think about, you know, we, we spent a lot of time last format talking about Forbidden Friendship and Bushmeat Poacher and cards like that that worked well, that played well with other cards. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to think of what some of the top commons are right now that fall into those categories for me and i think drowsing pteranodon is one i think it incentivizes you to play a lot of other cards that you wouldn't necessarily be excited about on their own and it makes them better because of how busted drowsing pteranodon is in tandem with them i think rousing reed is another one that similarly falls into that category um, it just does a lot for the reanimator deck it does a lot for blue red you know it's a non-creature spell it generates a threat it's a very aggressive card 
Deathbloom Thalad as two bodies, you know, in black, red, black, green, makes a lot of other cards that want you to sacrifice things or care about things dying. Just two bodies coming on a very efficient creature that's also, you know, well-statted. It's just been very good for me. Getting to curve Deathbloom Thalad trade it off, and then play Crypt Lurker, the 3-4 that sacks something to draw a card, has been awesome. Yeah, that has felt very good. I agree. I've done that a couple times. Goblin Wizardry we talked about. That's its own thing. I think Goblin Wizardry is a deck, you know, and I think it can be blue-red. I think it can be red-black. But that card is very powerful and really wants you to be aggressive and trying to combo kill your opponent, I found. Hobble Fiend has come way up for me. That's the one in a red 2-1 that you can pay one to sacrifice something uh, to put a plus one, plus one counter on it. That works super well with Malefic Scythe, Red Black. It just does a lot of things. Uh, and then Pride Malkin is another one. In the in the green-white counters deck, it just makes so many other cards around it better. And specifically the synergy with Drowsing Tranodon into Pride Malkin is just a very strong start. Yeah, it's felt... I mean, it's weird that it has felt like a two-for-one because... And I think that probably goes back to the conversation of we're just fine with like random grizzly bears and goblin pikers, just two twos and two ones in this format, that when you go, hey, I'm dumping a counter on something which enables an attack or will force you to double block with this thing. Like now my Tyranidon can attack as a four four or whatever, or my three three attacks into your two two and your two one. And now you're left with a body that actually relevantly trades with a lot of stuff is pretty powerful. Right. And then once you've once you've pride Malkin onto your Tranodon, then all of your combat tricks get better too, right? Yes. Because your opponent's having to double block it or whatever. Then you get to leverage other cards in your deck well. wanted to just throw out a, a bunch of combos here that I saw in the first few days just to keep an eye out on. Um, so there's Shipwreck Dowser. This is the three blue blue uncommon. It's a three three ETBs and uh, returns an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. It also has prowess. That with sublime epiphany which is that that busted rare that has like the five modes and you can choose one through five of them but more simply with the reanimate spell rise again you can have this infinite loop right shipwreck dowser gets back rise again and then you know whenever dowser dies you rise again it back into play and then dowser returns rise again to your hand etc it's pretty dirtily maybe not the the best home in this aggro format but something to look out for yeah also just be aware that you can activate looters uh, with zero cards in your hand when you've got things like lower scale quaddle or anything that cares about drawing cards um you know don't be afraid to loot draw discard the card that you drew query on dryad plus defiant strike is pretty awesome so query on dryad gets a plus and plus one counter when you cast a white blue black or red spell and then defiant strike is a one mana cantrip and that white green counters matter deck that's a really sweet little uh addition for that cantripping combat trick Ooh, yeah it's like get a plus one plus one counter draw card that's pretty busted uh seasoned hollow blade we talked about it uh is absurd with dub and fear of the bitten or plus one plus one counters that card is a house pick it highly kill your opponents with it yeah dub and fear of the bitten have just felt way better than they were in their initial format i think thanks to feet of resistance in particular and ranger's guile uh, a little bit less so yeah i agree with that if you've got lofty denial and riddle form in play uh you will be able to get your opponent to have to pay four for the the counter there because if you counter the spell with lofty denial and then turn riddle form into a flyer that trigger will happen before the lofty denial trigger happens and so then you'll have a flyer in play to make them have to pay four for their spell that is going to tilt me beyond belief <laughs> when it happens to me I've, I've already been lofty denialed several times and i've already had my my malefic size blown up i think the counter is at four times now by turn to slag wow 
Yep. Alchemist Gift plus Skeleton Archer and or Goblin Arsonist has been pretty strong, giving either of those cards Death Touch. You know, if you get your opponent with Goblin Arsonist, you're killing two things because you get, it gets Death Touch and then the one damage will also have Death Touch. And similarly, if you've got three black black for Skeleton Archer, when you cast it, you give it Death Touch and then whatever it pings will die. Yeah, that's pretty awesome that all three of those are at common. That I think like that's something to look out for. That's a really cool little package. Right, Alchemist Gift I think is good. It's yeah. been a huge overperformer for me. Yeah, yeah, I think I feel like we're we just gotta eventually shake it off. But one mana combat tricks are good. They're just good, <laughs> right? I think this, we just like have this holdover from years of like combat tricks aren't good, but the one mana combat tricks are always so strong. Chandra's Incinerator. So this is the red rare Colossal Dreadmaw. It's five and red for a six six trample. Um, its cost to cast is reduced by each non combat damage dealt to your opponent this turn. Whenever non combat damage is dealt to your opponent you deal that much damage to a creature they control. So that in conjunction with Chandra's Magma is really quite cool because Magma not only then turns into like a mana dork when you cast it, you just like ping the thing on your turn and now the Incinerator costs one less, but then also it turns Chandra's Magma into a pinger when Incinerator is in play. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, other thing that I found in the green-white deck, Conclave Mentor, which is the green-white uncommon plus Invigorating Surge, which is two and a green for an instant put a plus one plus one counter on something and then double the number of plus one plus one counters on it that turns your conclave mentor into a seven seven which is just ridiculous because you put the plus one plus one counter on and then it gets two because of the trigger so it mm-hmm. turns into a four four and then you double to six and then get to put an additional one on to seven that's gross yeah it's real gross oh my god so that's that's a potential turn three seven seven attacking yeah Wow. Uh, So moving off of combos into some rares we've had a chance to play with, I'll I'll kick us off here. Idol of Endurance, you and I both poo-pooed, I think, and we're not very high on. This is two and a white for an artifact when ETBs exile all creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard until Idol of Endurance leaves the battlefield, and then you can pay one and a white tap until end of turn you can cast a creature spell from among the cards exiled with Idol of Endurance without paying its mana cost. This card has been very impressive for my opponents. I've had a chance to play with it once. It was pretty good for me. Not quite as impressive as it was for my opponents. But if you're white, odds are you're going to have a lot of cards in your deck. I would say the majority of your creatures at 1, 2, 3 CMC. So the fact that you get to play the game knowing you get to reuse all those creatures, you just trade off, trade off, trade off. And then all of a sudden, Idol of Endurance is a three for one, four for one, five for one. It's been very powerful. All right. I have not yet seen this card in play, but I will take your word for it. Uh, next, up- I would like when I say very powerful, I would say like mm, C, C plus, like a good card. I'm not like taking it and drafting around it, but. If I'm in white and I have that kind of a curve, we'll happily include Idol of Endurance. Sweet. Uh, Pursued Whale. This is Moby Dick. This is a seven blue blue for an eight eight. Uh, I think spells that target it cost three more for your opponent to cast. And when it comes into play, you make a little Captain Ahab, a one one pirate that can't block. And it has the text creatures you control attack each turn if able. The fact that the text on the little token, little Ahab token stays around even after Pursued Whale is gone is pretty big game. And Pursued Whale is just impossible to interact with, basically. So you're liking the cards that pull you into blue? Where, where oh, are you at? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think this card is broken. Now, perhaps a 7-mana 8-8 in an aggro format that says your opponent's creatures have to attack is, is less good as, as people start to draft aggro. But I have faced this card many, many times, and it has often just been like when it enters the battlefield, I go, well... I can't win the game because I'm about to have to chump attack with a bunch of creatures next turn. Right. So best home, probably like what? Blue green where you're ramping into it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've also had some experience playing against Vito Thorn of the Dark Rose and the card is pretty scary, right? Yeah. It just, it just says your opponent can't block, which is a powerful threat. Plus just giving all the things lifelink. 
it's a it's a very good card and it does, it's not even a black white card it's just a good card in a black deck no it's probably creatures. even best in black green where you have mana to pump into it right yeah uh i played against this is probably more cute than good but i i didn't realize this was uh available so thieves guild enforcer this is the single black one one rare it has flash when it or another rogue you control enters the battlefield you mill your opponent for two and then as long as your opponent has i believe eight or more cards in their graveyard it gets plus two plus one and death touch there's some rogues floating around that i didn't quite realize there's like a little blue black rogue thing uh there's the uh the two one the masked blackguard with flash um and i believe also keen glide master is a rogue so i did play against a little blue black mill deck and then they had ways to get back thieves guild enforcer once i killed it so they could then mill again because that's uh, pretty cute yeah thieves guild enforcer has been good for my opponents as well not not in the milling contest it's just been very efficient mm-hmm. uh brash taunter is next up on my list this card is vomit inducing that's four in a red, one, one indestructible. When it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target opponent. And then you can pay two in a red tap and have it fight another target creature. So you can't attack into it. And then when you don't attack into it, they target whatever the biggest thing on the battlefield is on your end step and you lose the game. It's pretty unfun to play against. Yeah. This is a less busted, but I still think a really powerful card. Sporeweb Weaver is the two in a green one four with reach and hexproof from blue. And then whenever it's dealt damage, you gain a life and you make a one one sapperling. This is again another, you know, curving I think drowsing pteranodon into Sporeweb Weaver just feels like a complete invalidation of a lot of aggro strategies. Shields up, baby. Yeah. Subira is another one that has impressed me. The Tulzidi Caravaner. Nice. Uh, two Good for you. For, oh, I'm looking at it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> two in a red for a 2-3 haste. Uh, you can pay one mana. Another target creature with power two or less can't be blocked this turn. And one in a red tap. Discard your hand until EOT. Whenever a creature you control with power two or less deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. You're not using that mode often, but you can. But it's literally a 2-3 haste that can make two power things unblockable is a very scary card in this format because of how aggressive the red decks are. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last up on this list is Joel Real Muanvuli Recluse. I have liked this card a lot. This is one in a green for a 1-2. Uh, whenever you draw your second card for a turn, you get to make a 2-2 cat, and then it has 4 GG. Until end of turn, creatures you control have base power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand. That text rarely comes up, but just the fact that this makes 2-2s when you draw your second card, like this is a real pull into blue-green for me. Yeah, card's very good. I think it's very good in blue regain as well. Like it, it incentivizes you to do that, right? And there's other ways like to draw cards. You know, it's okay in green black. You can play Tessin trainings. You can play, you know, the three four that when you in an ETBs you sack something. Like th- there's ways to draw cards outside of green blue. I think it just is a, a rock solid card. B minus B. Yeah, for sure. So we've got a list here. Each of us have uh, five movers up and movers down after this these first few days of getting our hands on the cards. First up for me is Trackdown. This is the one in a green sorcery. Scry three, then you reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature or land, you get to draw it. This feels like draw two a lot of the time because you're often bottoming something that you don't want to draw. And especially late in the game, if you're like bottoming two lands and then topping a creature, this is a really premium draw spell for green. Have you whiffed on track down yet? No, not yet. I've whiffed twice. I'm a little lower on it. I've whiffed twice. What decks are you? What green decks are you building? How do you whiff? What do you I don't what do you see? Enchantment, enchantment, enchantment? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was confused also when I whiffed. It was it was on the YouTube video. I'm like all embarrassed and flushed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm curious how so you've you bottom so in the top four cards you don't have a land or a creature? Well, but if you like you're also not thrilled late in the game if you whiff on a creature 
putting a land on top. It's not great in that situation either, right? But you still, it's not great, but so just going bottom, bottom, top the land, draw the land, that's fine. It's fine. It's not good. I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was high on it and I'm, I'm wary now. My, my shields are up, but I think I probably just am unlucky. Well, Cla- that's, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, my first biggest mover up is short sword. Uh, the equipment that gives plus one, plus one. This card is very good in the format. If you're beating down, I think it's an auto include for one uh, in any aggressive deck. And I think you could consider running two. My next biggest mover up is Liliana's Devotee. We talked about this. This is the uncommon two, three zombie maker. This is a must kill and can definitely run away with the game. You know, we keep talking about how relevant two twos are when all of your creatures die into two twos, when the zombies die into to three twos or whatever. It's just a, a real house. Two drops are <laughs> next for me, which is kind of that's a, uh, that's a cop out. It is a cop out, but I honestly like that's been the biggest shift in the format for me, right? Like my stance going into the format was that two drops were bad and I thought the format was going to be slow. And after three days of playing the format, I'm like two drops. Let's attack. Let's go. Yeah. Um, so I, if if I'm not going to cop out, let me let me add an actual card here. This is a card I've been really impressed by that. I still am not sure why it feels so bad, but Talarian Kraken four blue blue for a four six. Ooh. When you draw a card, you may pay one. When you do, you may tap or untap target creature. Once blue decks cast this card, it feels like they're stable and and going to kill you in short order. It's been very impressive for many of my opponents. I have not cast it myself yet, but I, it's on my watch list to try out and potentially as a big mover up. Yeah, I love that card. Uh, speaking of attacking with two drops, Warded Battlements is a mover up for me. That's the three mana 03 that gives your attacking creatures plus one plus O. Um, this has just been really, really good as exactly how I think you thought it was going to play out. And it's just been good when you're racing. It's good because you're attacking and that one point of power boost is a big difference. It's best in blue white, right? Yeah, but I think you're. I, I think it's good in white green. I think it's good in white red. From what I'm hearing, I haven't drafted re- white red yet, but I played it in a white green deck and I was thrilled with it. I've, I've played it once and it was it was like did its thing. It was not outstanding. Was not. It was like fine. I was happy having it in the deck. I could have taken it or left it, but I haven't played with it in blue white yet myself. Neither have I. I'm, I'm very excited about it in blue white to try it out there. Rousing Reed is next on my list. Two and a blue, plus one, plus one flying enchantment. When ETBs, you draw two cards, then discard a card, and it gives your creature plus one, plus one and flying. I don't know how that I didn't understand that this cantripped, but it's better than cantripping. I thought it was like an aura that just lets you rummage or something. I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't internalize that it replaced itself and did better than replacing itself. Card's very good. Next up for me is uh, a card that I think has shifted greatly from its original printing in War of the Spark, which is Wall of Runes, the single blue 04 when it ETBs you scry one. I have liked one copy of this in most of my blue decks. I have found an 04 on turn one to soak up a lot of damage. Yeah, I think that's been, you know, normally in in War of the Spark, Wall of Runes was like a mulligan. That was the joke, right? Because you needed to be able to pressure Planeswalkers. Here in an aggressive format without the Planeswalker threat, Wall of Runes does a lot better job blocking, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Selfless Savior is next up for me. That's the single white 1-1, and you can sack it to give target creature indestructible until end of turn. Card is the best doggo on the planet. It's so annoying playing against white decks when this is on the battlefield because you know you can't blow them out and that you're likely to get blown out at some point in the game. Yeah. It's just a ticking time bomb. Yeah, I I was taking a look at your adjustments to our tier list and I think you had this at B level and which I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But honestly, the more I thought about playing against this card, the more that seems right. It just does so much. It gets in early damage. It turns on your three ones that give it plus two plus oh. 
And then I think I think you're supposed to try to leave it on the battlefield as long as possible. Yeah. My last biggest mover up is dub. We talked about this already. And this is more just I was such a dub hater in Dominaria. And I think it's actually probably at like C minus, maybe some deck C level here in this format. Uh, last one for me is Pride Malk and the two and a green two one when ETBs put a plus one plus one counter on something and creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them have trample. Looking at movers down, I, this was a tough list actually for me. There weren't a ton of things that moved down for me. I'm, I'm putting Bosri's Acolyte as the first one here, just as I thought it was the best common in the set, and I do not think so. It's bumped down a couple notches for me. Still busted, just not the best common. Uh, finishing Blow is first up on my list, which is probably controversial, but uh, so it's four and a black instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker. And I just don't think this is where you want to be in the format. I don't think you want to be trying to react to your opponent with a five mana spell. Will you play Finishing Blow? Yes. I think it should be not quite begrudgingly, but certainly not like a card you're actively excited about. It, it feels more like C plus ish to me than B minus. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it could even be C level. I think you want like a way in your decks to be able to like interact with Colossal Dreadmaw. But I don't think you need to like load up on those things. I think I would max out at two. And I think one is where I would prefer to be if I had other cheaper removal. Yeah. Sanguine Indulgence is a mover down for me. This is, this is a three and a black sorcery return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And it costs three less to cast if you gain three life this turn. I've been like trying to build these like black grindy decks with like one to two of these. And it's just too clunky. And I think that's also probably part of the format being aggressive that you just don't have time for something like that unless it's cost is reduced, which is not going to happen very often. I, I don't think this is this is not the uh, soul salvage that I thought it would be. Right. Well, and the cost is only reduced when you're attacking and you don't want to be attacking if you're trying to grind the opponent out. Yeah. Like it's all all very awkward. Rise again is next for me. It's four and a black for the sorcery return target creature from the graveyard to the battlefield. I think this card's good. I think you can do the thing in blue black reanimator, but it feels uh, fussy is the word of the podcast this week, right? <laughs> it, feels, yeah. it feels fussy uh, to try to you know do the thing dump your thing into the graveyard and you still don't get your large monster until turn five unless you've got you know a vidalian arcanist or something to accelerate the process i think it it works but i'm not actively as excited about rise again as i was well speaking of vidalian arcanist that's on my biggest movers down list this is the one in a blue one three that can tap to add a colorless mana for instance and sorceries this is like a secret blue red sometimes blue black gold card i think you know if you've got goblin wizardry reign of revelation if you've got the things to curve into i think it's good if you've got volcanic geyser as a late game mana sink whatever i think it's good but this is not an auto include in blue decks i agree yeah sanctums are next for me on the list we we talked about that earlier i think this is not where you want to be you shouldn't be going after them aggressively mm -hmm. village rights the single black instant as an additional cost to cast it sack a creature draw two cards i thought i was like really excited about this card I've just not found room for it in my black decks. And I think, again, this just goes along with one. There's not a lot of disposable bodies. And even the, the things, you know, you think about, well, at a certain point, my my two drop is going to become irrelevant in a part of the game. That just doesn't seem to be happening because of the prevalence of these aggro decks or the prevalence of how important curving out is and how small creatures are across the board. You just don't often end up with a oh, I, yeah, this creature's not doing anything anymore. I'm going to sack it to draw two. Right. Next up on my list is Silver Smoke Ghouls, two and a black for the 3-1 at the beginning of your end step. If you gain three or more life this turn, you bring it from your graveyard back to the battlefield tapped, and you can pay one and a black, sack it to draw a card. This is very good if you have it in a life gain deck, but it's sort of in that awkward spot where it's not a reason to draft 
the life gain deck yet it is one of the uncommon payoffs for it yeah i don't know i just i I think it's easy to see this and think oh i should draft black white life gain and i don't think you should be quite that willing to jump into black white life gain right so funny like it's it's a three mana three one almost always and i think people do like the reverse vanilla test where they just see all the the upside and they're like oh this is gonna get there and it doesn't that often right my last one is chrome replicator the five mana Four four at colorless. When it ETBs, if you have like two of the same non-land on token permanence, you get to make another four four. This is just way too hard to make work. This is a five mana four four a lot of the time, and uh, and I it, I was in magical Christmas land a little bit with this. I was in love with it too. I, I it just I've done the thing. You'll play it though, right? You'll play it, well, but you don't take it hoping to do the thing. You you want to have like four of the same common and then take chrome replicator and even then it's not always going to trigger so you need to be okay with a five mana four four exactly but then it just it suffers from the the curb the cube curve problem of like how many five drops can i play and it's not that many and i think you're just going to see better ones than this right last on my list is kite sail freebooter one in a black for one two flyer when etbs you duress your opponent you take a non-land non-creature card out of their hand when this whiffs the body is pretty irrelevant. Yeah. And I think it's got a fair chance of whiffing, which just like you're going to play it, but I, I, it's not as good as it is in cube. Like it's tempting to see this card and think, oh, this card's busted, but the card's busted in cube because of how many powerful spells there are. There's not that many powerful spells running around in M21. So just, I, I would say Kite Tail Freebooter is like a, a C. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. All right, this takes us on to a color rankings. This is These are tentative color rankings. Ethan and I had a, a, a long 10, 15 minute chat at the start of the show just talking about where we were at and all that sort of stuff. We're very in consensus that red is the best color. And I think that that seems to be a general consensus mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah, I will agree with that. Pa- past that, I think here's where i'm at right now and again all this could change we've played the format for three or four days i'm on white as the second best color because my default when i don't get really powerful cards is that i want to be an aggressive deck and all three of white blue white red and white green really want to be aggressive and that there's you know white's commons aren't intrinsically powerful but the fact that all of them want you to do the same thing and are available at common to do powerful things to attack i think is why I've got it at number two right now. Yeah, for me, my my counter to that is that beyond Bosri's Acolyte and Feet of Resistance, I think White's Commons are pretty junky or or pretty, you know, I guess there's there's a glass half full, glass half empty sort of way to look at it. One way is like, yeah, they're redundant, so you like they're all doing the same thing. And my feeling is like they're all junky and like replaceable or whatever. Like they, they, none of them really matter beyond those first two. So that's why I'm less excited about white, but perhaps I should be looking at it in the, the glass half full way. I think it's more, I, I I agree. They all look junky on face value. I, I think they feel better than they look is how I would describe it. Yeah. Like when you, when you play Alpine Watchdog on turn two, like I feel great. Like, and then I put a short sword on it and I feel really good, yeah. you know, um, which is an odd thing to be saying because that's not, typically my style of magic but that has felt felt good to me so that that's my my rationale behind white i've got green three um as a nod to you know i feel like i'm a green apologist a bit after hammering on it in uh ikoria but i think land of war visionary is great i think drowsing pteranodon is the best aggressive creature in a format that wants to be aggressive it's also the best defensive creature right yeah yeah it's just the best it's the best two drop you can get at common best dinosaur drowsing pteranodon so yeah and then green green getting to go bigger than other things uh is is good i've got blue after that and i could see blue being better than green or white like i think i don't have a great sense of 
blue, green, and white yet, like where they all fall. But I've got blue a little lower, mostly because I'm only really happy with blue in blue, red. And I guess blue, white flyers has felt good to me. And like, they're all fine, right? Blue, black is fine. Blue, green is fine. So I could see it being better just because all of the blue color pairs are either good to fine. I think most of them fall in that mid-tier range mm-hmm. for me. But blue is also very split in that like its commons definitely go in very certain places, right? It doesn't have a single unifying force to me. I don't think I agree with that. Okay. I think blue, I'm just thinking about like the top commons. I mean, I guess Mistral Singer, I think is perhaps a bit more situational, but but the the Ghost Light, the Rousing Reed, Opt... Keensight Mentor, I think those are all doing the things, whether you're in, I think probably blue-green is, or blue-red is obviously the best blue deck, but I think in blue-green and blue-white, those are good. I think blue-black is sort of the the awkward deck, just because I think that, <laughs> to use the word again, I think that deck's a little fussy, <laughs> doesn't come together a lot, or like the the reanimator thing is more cute than good, because... You're well, you're you're not trying to get a fatty into play on turn five in this format. That's not really what in and the fact that you have to work hard to do that, I think blue black just like doesn't maybe have the the tools. But I think the other three blue decks, most of the blue cards, maybe minus the the singer, just because that wants you to have I think there's a tension of like blue green wanting to have like a high creature count, but then also you want spells to trigger the singer. That doesn't happen that often. You can't get both. But beyond that, I think a lot of blues cards work well together. Okay. That's fair. And then I've got I've got black bringing up the rear largely because I'm not excited about most of the black color pairs. And I think the commons fall off pretty hard after Grasp of Darkness and Death Bloom Salad. So I, I just haven't I don't want to be white, black and, you know, black, blue, black, green, fine, black, red. I'm pretty excited about. But yeah, I just it feels very powerful at uncommon and very shallow at common to me. Yeah, I agree with that. It's hard because I think Grasp of Darkness is just such a, a house of a removal spell, but it being black, black is very color committing and not saying that you have to cast it on two, obviously, but just like, you know, for any black, black spell, you have to have, you know, eight, eight, nine plus swamps in your deck. So I think uh, I think that's a big ask for a color that doesn't really get there at common. Yep. Okay, so re-ranking top commons in white, uh, number one, Basri's Acolyte, number two, Feet of Resistance, and then number three is really deck dependent. I don't really have a number three. I mean, I guess it's Swift Response, but Swift Response has gone down a little bit for me, uh, mostly because I really want to be attacking when I'm white. So any of like Watchdog, Daybreak Charger, Gale Swooper, if you don't get the Acolytes, uh, number three is still up in the air for me. In blue, we've got Roman Ghostlight still at number one. Big mover up here. Number two, Rousing Reed, which I totally agree with here. This card is... I've not cast this card enough myself, but I've seen it curved out. I've seen my opponents curve into it with a two-drop into Rousing Reed, and I just like look at my hand of removal and go, oh, well, I can't I can't kill this thing, or I need to like find my one Scorching Dragonfire right away before I die, etc. And then we still got Mistral Singer at number three. I could really see there being times where you take Opt, over Mistral Singer, but I, I think Singer there for number three for now. And where are you at on the Opt versus Frantic Inventory debate? I came in on Opt over Frantic Inventory, and now after drafting and playing, I definitely think it's Opt over Inventory. Just the the floor on Opt is so much higher. Yes, the ceiling on Inventory is higher, but the floor on Opt is so much higher. I think one mana really matters a lot in those blue-red decks when you're trying to either combo off with Goblin Prowess yes. or Goblin Wizardry, whatever it's called, <laughs> not Goblin Prowess. <laughs> yeah. That and... It just more consistently does the thing. I have seen people with like five, six frantic inventory trophy decks, though, that look very good. 
think that's the exception rather than the rule, though. Uh, moving on to Black, Grasp of Darkness in the number one slot. Deathbloom Thalad moving up to the number two slot and finishing below getting bumped down to the number three slot. Uh, red, we've got Scorching Dragonfire one. Shock bumping up to number two. Spellgorge Weird bumping down to number three. And then we could just rattle off a ton here, right? There's Goblin Wizardry. There's Pitchburn Devils. There's like all three of the two drops, which are good. There's red is so deep. Yeah, red's very deep again. Uh, feel feel great about red as the best color. And then green, uh, we've got Land of War Visionary at number one. Drowsing Pteranodon moving up to the number two spot and Hunter's Edge in the number three. And then some top commons overall. You've got Scorching Dragonfire here at number one. I think I still have Land of War Visionary as number one. But honestly, these top three are just all... These are the top three, right? Dragonfire, Lanor Visionary, Bosri's Acolyte. I feel very confident that those are the top three, yeah. In in some order. Mm-hmm. My, my order is Dragonfire, Visionary, Acolyte right now, but I think it's way too early to really know that. Yeah, for sure. And then the hot take here, Ben, number four, Drowsing Pteranodon, Sleepy Dino. Sleepy Dino at number four. Yeah, I, I like this card a lot, and I think it makes a lot of other cards around it better. That's that's why I've got it at number four. And then number five, I've got Shock. So you were wanting to get Grasp of Darkness in here, potentially. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's it's interesting because it's I think it's a, an intrinsically more powerful card, obviously, than Shock, than, than honestly, than Scorching Dragonfire. But it's possible that the delta between red and black is so huge and that the difference between single red and double black is so huge that it doesn't belong in the top five list here. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and close, right? I think Drowsing Tranodon is the hottest take of, of me putting that in the top commons. And, you know, if you look at Drowsing Tranodon and you look at Grasp of Darkness, Grasp of Darkness is a better Magic the Gathering card, right? Yes. So ultimately, ultimately it's going to depend on if the format pans out the way that we're portraying it here in this episode. And if that's the case, I, I do think Drowsing Tranodon might be better than, than Grasp of Darkness or lead you down a better path than Grasp does. But, you know, it's early. Time will tell. Yeah, for sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up there. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. When are we getting another uh, 10-hour stream, Ben? I don't know. I'll probably, I'll probably fire it up today. I've got lazy, lazy Sunday afternoon. Sweet. Well, if, you're, uh, if you've got a time machine, you can travel back to Sunday <laughs> to watch Ben's stream. But we'll be going live this week to get as many drafts in as we possibly can. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later